Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll teach you how to interrupt unhealthy thought patterns. I'll also be interviewing Dr. Valerie Young, who is an internationally recognized expert on imposter syndrome. She's here today to talk about her award-winning book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. This book will literally change the way you view yourself. For more information about Dr. Young, please visit impostorsyndrome.com. You may also purchase your book at your favorite bookstore. Thank you so much for listening to Lifeology. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. Interrupting unhealthy thought patterns. The majority of us are pretty good at advocating for our friends or standing up for our friends if somebody does something or says something about them. And for the most part, we're pretty good at doing that for ourselves too when we're really passionate about something or if someone does something that truly is inappropriate. However, one of the most difficult things is when we allow ourselves to think about things that are painful for us. For example, after a breakup, your thoughts continually ruminate or they permeate your mind and go in this endless loop. Or if you're struggling with your finances, you continually think about what you're going to do to be able to pay your bills. Or perhaps it's about your self-esteem. You have thoughts about the way you look or the way you should look or how you should act or how you shouldn't act. And when those thoughts happen, we're often not very kind to ourselves. For those of you who have listened to this show for quite a while, you know I'm all about prevention. The more you can prevent something, the less you, quote, have to worry about it later. If you know that going to a certain location or doing a certain activity automatically causes you to think a certain way, what are you doing to prepare yourself so that when you are in that activity or you are at that location, that you can catch yourself before you get lost in those negative thoughts. I always have people focus on their five senses. The more internal you are with your thoughts, the less you're actually present in the moment. Because if I'm really thinking about something, all of my energy is going to be going towards those thoughts as opposed to me enjoying or really being aware of what's happening around me. So when you can use your five senses to pull yourself out of your head, that allows you to be present in the moment as opposed to what you're thinking about. For example, if I'm going to a place that I know has a lot of negative emotions for me or memories for me that are painful, then for one, I ask myself, do I need to go? And if it is something that I need to do, okay, well then what's my action plan? When we start to have thoughts and feelings that become too overwhelming, we have to use our five senses. And what I mean by that is this. If I'm starting to have all these really painful memories and overwhelming emotions, then what I will do is I will literally tell myself, James, stop. When I say that aloud, it uses my external sense of my sense of hearing, which kind of snaps me out of it just for a quick second. And then I use the rest of my five senses. And then that would look like this. I say, James, stop. My sense of hearing kicks in. And then I will use my sense of sight. I will then look around at my surroundings and try and really look at all the details. I will speak aloud what those details are. So not only am I using my sense of sight, I'm using my sense of hearing 
And then if I can, I will walk. And when I walk, that's my sense of touch as I feel my clothes against my skin or my shoes as they touch the ground. Because the more you're aware of your current surroundings, the less you have time to think about all the things that are bothering you. So that's why it's so important to use your five senses. So the preventative work is if I don't have to go to a certain location or if I'm in a position where I have the ability to not engage with someone or a location, then I won't go or I won't do it. But if I then have to engage with someone or something, I will use my five senses. So let's say I am in, I'm at work and people are talking and I have all these thoughts about myself. What do I do? Well, one way to get myself out of my head so I don't have those thoughts is I will use my sense of touch. If I'm sitting at a desk or at a table, I will be mindful of what I'm touching. If I touch my clothes, if I touch my pen, my computer, whatever it might be, I'm physically being aware of the sensations of what that feels like. I will then also look around, use my sense of sight to really get the details of the people or the room. And then the more senses I can use, the more I'm present in the moment, as opposed to getting lost in the looping thoughts that I have. And that's why it's so important, because when you can be in control of what you're thinking about, that determines how you literally show up, I suppose, in that moment and allows you to move beyond certain thoughts or certain belief systems and stay present in the moment. Now, I may say, James, stop a hundred times in a minute because those thoughts may be really powerful for me. But the more often I say that and use my sense of hearing or some other sense to pull myself out of my head, I am now allowing myself to be present in the moment so that I'm not using all my energy to focus on what I think is, quote, wrong with me. And the more often you do that, that allows for you to decrease anxious thoughts or decrease certain thoughts that you just don't like or that aren't healthy for you. So remember, the more you have these looping thoughts or thoughts of low self-esteem or whatever it might be, the way to pull yourself out of it is to use your external five senses and be present in the moment and in your surroundings. I have a fantastic guest today, Dr. Valerie Young. She talks with you about the imposter syndrome and all the different subsets of that and really normalizes it. We all struggle with it. In fact, I struggle with it at times as well. So when I heard this, I was able to pick out which one of the subsets that I typically fall into that category. And I promise you, as you hear this, it's going to normalize it for you to know that seven out of 10 people struggle with this. So stay tuned. Have you ever thought, gosh, I'd love to start my own radio show or podcast, but I have no idea how to do it. Or are you a seasoned veteran who wants to level up and improve all aspects of your show? Well, I will be working with a select few to help you either start or polish your show. These are a few topics I will teach you. How to create your brand and how to be specific with your niche and your audience. The types of equipment you should use to help you improve the quality of your audio and your video. I'll teach you how to get your show aired on most podcasting platforms, as well as give you an option to create a video podcast. I'll teach you which recording platforms are best for your needs, as well as teach you the importance of having a show clock. The do's and don'ts of writing your own show notes that will help increase the reach of your audience and generate traffic to your website. I'll also introduce you to some of my contacts and previous guests. I'll also be offering a select few the opportunity to broadcast your show on my platform and have access to my three and a half million listeners. So if you're ready to start or level up your show, then visit www.jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash work with James and sign up today. It's time, my friend, for you to stand out and share your message with the world. Once again, visit www.jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash work with James to get started today. My guest today is Dr. Valerie Young, who is an internationally recognized expert on imposter syndrome. She's here today to talk about her award-winning book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It All. This book will literally change how you view yourself. Welcome to my show, Dr. Young. I'm really excited to be here, James. 
I am looking forward to this as well. We had such a wonderful talk in the pre-call. So you have so much information. We only have 22 minutes to get to really talk about it. So I'm going to try and go as fast as I can and try and really help people listen to your expertise. Now, you yourself, if I remember correctly, you were in a in a lecture hall and someone was talking about the imposter syndrome and you were so surprised because everybody was shaking their head like, yes, yes, I suffer with that. Is that about right? How you were yeah, exposed yeah, to Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was, I was in a class. Somebody brought in a paper by Pauline Clance uh-huh. and Suzanne Imes, the two psychologists who coined the term the imposter phenomenon, as mm-hmm. it is more accurately okay. known, and sure. start describing how at the, the time, James, they thought it was unique to women, right? So uh-huh. she's describing uh-huh. how all these intelligent, capable women felt like they were fooling people, they were going to be found uh-huh. out. And I, and I was, I was nodding my head like a bobblehead doll, <laughs> looked around the room and all the other doctoral students were nodding their head. Right? Wow. So we all got it immediately. And I'm sure just in that awareness though, just to see that you weren't so alone, to normalize that that phenomena, I'm sure was was transforming in so many different ways. Oh, absolutely. To, to find out there's a name for the feelings. Yeah. Yep. You know, and that other people feel that way is mm-hmm. uh, a tremendous relief, as you said. And it's a, it's, it's the great, it's, it's the place to start. <laughs> Just know, like, yeah. and the fact that seventy percent of people feel this way—that's where I have to break into people that they're not special. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you put those numbers to that because that's so true. And I like the fact that it's so true when you can literally put a name to something that it strips the power away from it. Then you can you can research it, you can understand what's happening, and then you can create an action plan for it, which is what you help people do. What was it about the imposter syndrome or imposter syndrome? I keep putting the word the um, imposter syndrome that drew you that was so powerful for you to say, this is how I, where I want my life to go. And I want to focus on this and be, have it become my expertise. You know, I can't say, James, that I started out to become a, an expert. You know, mm-hmm. I needed a dissertation topic. Oh, okay. uh, That's fair. I, I was focusing on um, what was called white on white racism awareness training, you know, white okay. folks uh-huh. working with other people to understand racism. Sure. But I was so taken with this topic and my own experience with it mm-hmm. that I wanted to understand. So I didn't research imposter syndrome itself. I looked at women's self-limiting attitudes and behaviors. So in other words, if all the external barriers went away tomorrow, like why would women feel this way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the findings have since been, so many of them are equally applicable to men. And it was one of these phenomena that was quickly determined a lot of men feel this way too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really my goal. I've always picked topics that I personally was struggling with. Oh, I see, okay. And I wanted to understand and, yeah. and then create educational uh, opportunities around that to help other people kind of think it through and look at their own patterns. When you looked at all your research, you know, it's, I know they initially said there was that more women typically feel this way. And of course, men as well. What, what is the, the overall, I guess, what, what would be the overall cause of that? Because it's not necessarily the psychological or deep-seated wound in someone's life, but there's so many different reasons for that. Is there, was there an overall, I guess, understanding of what a person went through or experienced in life that caused them to have the imposter syndrome? You know, I think I, I kind of frame this as seven perfectly good reasons why you might feel like a fraud. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly family messages is one sure. part of that. If you're the kid who had came home with four A's and one B mm-hmm. and your family's only response was, what's that B doing there? Yeah. You got this powerful sure. message, mm-hmm. you know, that the only thing that was acceptable was perfection. And, and as you know, for kids, praise is like oxygen. Yes, yes. You know, or maybe you didn't get praise and you had really good grades. And there's lots of reasons parents might not praise a child for academic achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you got a little too much oxygen, right? So you were told everything <laughs> you did right. was like remarkable. Yeah. So there's lots of family dynamics at play. But, you know, as we chatted about earlier, we didn't grow up in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of it's not one thing, it's your mother. Sure. You know? <laughs> <I get that. laughs> we weren't all raised by the same parents and we didn't yeah. all get the same messages. Yeah. So yes. kind of, you know, yet here we are. So yeah. organizational culture can play a role. The field that you're in can play a role. People in creative fields, people in STEM fields, mm-hmm. people at universities. 
Um, you know, I think there's a social element to it. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. you're on the receiving end of stereotypes about competence or intelligence, you're going to feel more like an imposter. Sure. Or if there's not a lot of folks who look like you and you've got the kind of pressure to represent mm-hmm. your entire group. Mm-hmm. So all of those things come into play. But here's what I think is the thread across all of these, right? The core reason for me for imposter syndrome is, mm-hmm. is how we view what it means to be competent. People who feel like imposters have unrealistic, unsustainable expectations for themselves about what it means to be competent. And when we fall short, as we invariably will, we feel like a fraud. Is there a difference between competent versus successful? Oh, I think so. And with, yeah, with that as well, to feel confident, competent would then that would, however, would sometimes people think competent means successful? Would they, would they superimpose those two things and have it be the same meaning? I guess I'm thinking that because if someone says, okay, I'm, I'm okay at this but I'm not successful at it, even though my accolades may say that I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But there's a lot of people who are completely fully competent, sure. but they don't rise to their full potential because uh, they feel okay. like imposters. Interesting. And, and so much of the focus with imposter syndrome, James, is on high achievers. But uh, I think there's plenty of people who don't pursue their art. They mm. don't write their book. They don't become a, you know, compose sure. their music sure. or go for the promotion or scale their right. business or whatever it might be because of the, the, the competence, confidence issue. So when we say highly successful people, it's also the people who, are, who have proven that, but also the, the potential of people who could be highly successful. So there's a, there's a I would say, a spectrum of sorts of the, the demonstration of that success versus the ability, in the, in the, um, the ability to become even more successful, but that, like you said, they haven't actually actualized that or tried that yet. Right, because they don't think it, it's possible. Sure. You know, or yeah. they think they need to get three degrees and mm-hmm. 20 years of experience, or they have that, you know, little belief that says, you know, that, that, that they just can't do it, you know, yeah. that, they, that they need to know more, do more. Yeah, of course. Is it the imposter syndrome thoughts, are, are they that obvious in a person's mind or how do they sneak in or how do they kind of filter through and meander and permeate one's life if it's not that obvious? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fraud. How, what are other ways in which people can, can recognize that? You know, it might be just sitting in a meeting um, and I don't do a ton of coaching. I don't see myself as a coach, but I happen to working with this guy as an executive and he's like the star in this one area and his job. He's very strategic, big picture kind of guy. But when they start bringing in the spreadsheets and talking details, you know, he feels over his head Uh, and he feels out of his league. Um, And so he's measuring himself. So it might be that little voice that says, oh, my God, you know, he doesn't want to ask a question Mm -hmm. to reveal that he might look stupid. So I think it could be, it could manifest in kind of holding back in that way, uh, flying under the radar, like not asking questions, going for promotions, Mm. you know, putting yourself out there. It could be chronically procrastinating. You know, I always tell people when I was supposed to be writing my dissertation, I had the cleanest house in Northampton, Massachusetts. (laughs) 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 Because when you procrastinate, um, and the results are bad, right? You you Uh, procrastinate on getting this big application in and it's bad. Then you, you have a built-in excuse. Sure, and well, it becomes right, a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Exactly, but if, but the rub is, if the results were successful, then you feel like a fraud. You're like, you know, fooled them again, uh, ripped it off at the last minute, and they're going to find out. Or you I might not never start or finish. You know, the book, sure. the painting, the degree. Mm-hmm. People sabotage their success. It could be alcohol mm-hmm. or substance abuse. Mm-hmm. You show up late to an interview. Or I think a common one is overworking, over preparing. Uh, oh, okay. Which then obviously will then create a disconnect in your quality of life as well, which affects other areas of your life, which can then create the cascade effect of how you f- then feel a fraud in other areas because you're winging it, et cetera. Absolutely. That's, wow. That's, that's so, I say but fascinating. See, they all work. They all work. Yeah, they, they do. do 
Yeah, they do. Exactly. They're supposed. The job is unconsciously is to help us manage the anxiety of feeling like an imposter Mm -hmm. and avoid being found out. So we're trying to take care of ourselves. Like we're trying to do the best we can under the circumstances, unconsciously, to to protect ourselves from failure, disappointment, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, criticism, vulnerability, but always at a cost, as you said. Like we always pay a price for the protection that we get. Yes, exactly. With obviously this is a counseling session, of course, but what, what are some techniques that, that you teach or that can help people just be, be aware of it and maybe counteract the, the imposter syndrome? I, the first one is to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really important mm-hmm. first step, but I always mm-hmm. caution people not to get stuck there because there are people who literally spend years in therapy Yeah, there are. You know, and, and never, never move the needle mm-hmm. in any real mm-hmm. significant kind mm-hmm. of way. So it's just a first step, um, but then to normalize it. You know, and yeah. when you recognize, again, 70 and in some areas, you know, 80 percent of people and CEOs have these feelings, then it helps to to normalize it and realize, you know, it's not just me. And, and mm-hmm. it begs a question like, what's up with the other 30? Yeah. Right. If 70 percent of people feel this way, wow. like, why are you studying them? <laughs> yes, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's almost like I a 2080 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 syndrome as well, well I think, 20 people. Yeah, I think part of that 30 have, you know, that whole other issue, you know, irrational self-confidence syndrome. Okay, you know, sure. The, the smartest guy in the room, <laughs> yeah. you know, the sure. Dunning-Kruger effect, yeah. people who think they know more than they really sure. do. But forget about that for a minute. But there's a portion yeah. of that 30 that we can learn from. Mm-hmm. People who are humble, like genuinely humble, but they have said, Valerie, I've never had these feelings. I've never felt like an imposter. And we can learn from them because yeah, they're no more intelligent, capable, competent mm-hmm. than the rest of us. It's just in the exact same situation where you or I might feel like an imposter, they're thinking different thoughts. Interesting. Uh, but very specifically, it's not like, you know, you've got this and you can do it and you, know, you deserve to be yeah. here, right? All of which are true, but it's not like just that motivational pep talk. They think differently about competence and what it means. They respond and think differently to mm-hmm. failure, mistakes, and constructive criticism and to fear. So if we can learn how to kind of hit the pause button and sure. become consciously aware, of, as you said, like, what is that conversation going mm-hmm. on in our head when we feel like an imposter? Sure. And then imagine calling in the scriptwriters to play the part of you. Mm-hmm. And how would you how would they reframe that and think differently than you are thinking about that situation? Wow. And everything you just said, I'm thinking in my mind I'm, from a psychological psychology approach I'm going through. Okay, this is this and this, and there's all these different theories and how how to put all this together. So if I ever did meet with someone who had that or worked for that, well, I'm sure I have met with people, I'm, I'm, myself included, at times have felt this way as well. So it's interesting for me to to think of this in my own my own in my own field and how that that plays itself out. But I, I really like how you, uh, with what you said, as far as individuals have a different connotation or in other words, different meaning for what those concepts mean as far as competence and their ability to do that. And, you know, obviously that how, however a person decides to, to view that will become the, the, the foundation for how they, how they present themselves in the world. And yeah, I think that's, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking aloud here as a, as a extroverted thinker here. <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing though that it's so true that just the concept of a word has so much power and what we, what we understand that word to mean then determines how that makes sense for us. For example, a 13 year old girl may have a different version of love than a 57 year old man. And so, or maybe not, but usually they do. And so with that, the sure. concepts are so different. And so it, it's so interesting to see that, unfortunately, so many people may have that same concept of what competency means um, and for whatever reason, but to be able to be aware that, let me sit with that and rethink what that means 
to mm-hmm. viscerally respond with that or have a visceral response of what that means and then to be, create the new foundation or new platform for how someone would see, see themselves in the world. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the guy I mentioned before, the, the coaching, the executive, um, he had this huge aha moment because because he really is a star in that kind of strategic mm-hmm. area. And, and, and I said, you know, so it sounds like you expect yourself not only to be the star pitcher, mm-hmm. but the star catcher, oh, base runner, right. you know, batter. And because sometimes you got to use analogies that sure, yeah, that, that work. He's like a sports guy, so mm-hmm. the look on his face when he that he he said, "I never connected that dot." That wow. what he was expecting was you you wouldn't see it on a playing field. Why would you see it in a boardroom? Sure, that that's a great point. But it also makes me think, you know, in the sense of knowing what you are and what you are not. And so I think that kind of the same concept as well. I know I'm never going to be an NBA, you know, NBA star, but I know I'm good at what I do. And so I think it's to really hone in on what your expertise is and not be too divergent with it. Cause I think the divergency aspect is when people start to get lost with it. And so I'm not good at this, not good at that. So I lump it all together and therefore I am now the imposter. So I think that that would be really important to be so specific about one's expertise. And then from there, you can branch out and get more expertise. And then obviously, absolutely. And we can get good at any number of things, right? I mean, you can acquire a skill if you, mm-hmm. if you choose to. Sure. I mean, again, you're not going to play basketball, but within yeah. reason, right? We can all acquire sure. um, skills, but we really set ourselves up to fall short when we expect ourselves to be, you know, have this vast expertise and know mm-hmm. everything there possibly is to know, sure. which is the equivalent of trying to get to the end of the internet. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> that's clever. <laughs> you, I know you talked about different subsets of the different of the different types of individuals who suffer with imposter syndrome, and we only have um, probably a ten more minutes. So definitely want to okay. see if we get a couple of those in because we could talk about sure. this literally all day. What would be one of the? I guess I guess go ahead and, and tell us a few of what those are. Sure. Let me just tell you real quickly how how I came up with these uh-huh. kind of type. These are ways people view what it means to be competent. So okay. you know. Back when I finished my dissertation, I started doing workshops and putting people into groups and doing exercises. And one of them was to come up with the imposter rule book. Okay. So in other words, if I was really intelligent, capable, competent, I should, I'd never, I'd always. Okay. Like the young man at Stanford, PhD student who said, uh, I feel like I should already know what I came here to learn. Uh-huh. Or people might oh, say, wow. okay. I wouldn't need any help. I'd always know the sure. answer. You know, I'd always be confident, whatever it might be. So people used to write these on flip charts and I would collect them. This is not hugely scientific, right? Sure. But I would collect them. And I started noticing, and I, I worked with hundreds of thousands of groups yeah, of uh, yeah. in, in different areas. So I, I noticed these patterns, right? We all skew what it means to be competent, but we don't all do it the same way. Uh-huh. Sure. So often what's associated with imposter syndrome is the perfectionist. So for the perfectionist, and by the way, kind of shame is at the core of all of these. So there's shame in falling sure. short, right? So, so for the perfectionist, 99 out of 100 would feel like failure, mm. right? Because they want to knock it out of the park every yeah. single time. Sure. For the perfectionist, um, uh, you know, making a presentation or doing a podcast, then you forget to make some minor point, you beat mm. yourself up endlessly because you want it to be Academy Award winning like, every <laughs> single time, right? So that's the perfectionist. But then there's the expert, which I think of as kind of the knowledge version of the perfectionist. Okay. It's not so much for them about the quality of their work. It's not that that's not important, but for them, what is paramount is the quantity of knowledge and information ah, that they interesting. Okay. And they feel like they can never know enough. So there's always one more book to read, one more class to take, mm-hmm. one more degree to get, you know, this endless search <laughs> for the end of knowledge. Yes. So you wake up one day and think, now I'm an expert. <laughs> 
um, the natural genius. Right? It doesn't mean they are a genius or they think they're a genius. It means that somewhere this person got it into their head that if they're really intelligent, capable, competent, this wouldn't be this hard. The uh, fact that they have to struggle to, to understand something or master something or study harder than the students around them, in their mind, proves they must be an imposter because they're uh, measuring competence based on ease and speed. They expect to step into a new situation and kind of pick, hit the ground running, whether mm -hmm. it's a promotion, a new job, a new skill set. You know, so they might watch you composing, go, oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And then they start doing it. It's like, oh, this is really hard. So I must, right? this is not as easy as I thought it was, right? So, so I must not be good at it because sure. they don't recognize people get good at things. things uh, yeah. Of course, there's all things we are naturally good at, but sure. they expect it to be about everything. The soloist, as it sounds, they think mm. it only counts if I do it all by myself. So asking oh, wow. for help, needing mentoring, coaching, tutoring. I, I spoke at the Dalton School, which is on the Upper West Side, very elite, private, uh, you know, first through 12th grade. These kids have this robust tutoring system. Even in elementary school, they won't access it because they don't want the other kids to think they're stupid. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And, and getting help would suggest they're stupid, that they would need help. Wow. Uh, and then there's a superwoman, superman, super student who mm -hmm. feels like they have to excel not just in their career or academics, mm -hmm. but, you know, as a, uh, a parent, a partner, the home has to look mm -hmm. great. They have to look great, you know, volunteer in the community all at the same time. So they've raised that bar really high. Or like my client, for him, he's not so much that kind of traditional superwoman who, you know, with the parenting in the house. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, but for him, it's about being this super everything at work that he's excels in every aspect. Wow. In the, in this job. Here, hearing all that, I'm so ex I'm emotionally exhausted as I was kind of filtering through each one of those like, oh, my gosh, so much pressure. And then more you said, I was like, oh, well, <laughs> it's just a lot of pressure. But, I, you know, I, obviously, I, I'm sure I fall in there in one of those places. But it's it is exhausting just to hear that the, all the, the templates that go over one's mind and the for how they formulate every every interaction they have. And just to be able to present a certain way. You know, as an as a as you know, as an expert, if you will, but then to have all those thoughts and those that emotional turmoil inside of yeah. it just must be incredibly Absolutely. exhausting. It is exhausting. Wow. wow. Yeah. See, I want people to again to reframe those. Sure. So let's say, like the expert, like we've all been in a meeting or a class where mm -hmm. we didn't understand what the person was talking mm -hmm. about, but you didn't want to raise your hand because yeah. you didn't want to look stupid. Right? Stupid. Yeah. Then somebody asks your question or they share your idea and the person says, oh, that's brilliant. You're like, oh man, <laughs> that, was my, that was my question. <laughs> the point is, it's not about knowing everything. I want people to not know with confidence, mm. right? To be the person in the room who confidently raises their hand and says, excuse me, I'm not following. Like, I, I didn't understand your question, James. Like, mm -hmm. can you repeat that? Or I'm not clear. Not not because you're BSing, or, mm -hmm. but really out of this at, at your core, you feel entitled in the best sense of the word sure, of course, the healthiest word. to not understand or ask a question. And it frees all the other people in the room sure. who also didn't understand. Like, so glad they asked that question. <laughs> Which is another form of normalizing. So if you normalize it, you know, having it, talking about it, but just do engaging in that conversation or just asking that question normalizes everyone's unspoken imposter syndrome thoughts or feelings. Exactly. Uh, th that said, if you're the youngest person in the room, if you are the only woman or a person of color or a person with a disability, right? It is more, you are being more vulnerable being that person since you kind of represent your entire group. Mm -hmm. But I always tell people, 
we have no control over what anybody in the room thinks about us. Sure, exactly. We can only control our response. So just, you know, get that most confident voice and throw your hand up and say, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And it also goes back to also identifying what's the worst case scenario. So you ask that question and then what? So if, if you struggle with that to really reframe what is that worst case scenario possibility and then when you shed light on it, it's probably not as bad as you think. And so with exactly. that, that gives you some more of that confidence as well. Yeah. Was it Ellis or Fritz Perls, the, the concept of awfulizing? Oh, my God. You think I would remember this? I think it's, oh, my gosh. You probably, I don't remember. I know what awfulizing is, but I can't think of it, who was the one who did it. Yeah, but for the cognitive behavioral aspect of it, when you use the, the thinking errors or the cognitive distortions, that's where you'll find the catastrophizing of something. So the ca- catastrophizing is where you'll see where that is something where you worst case scenario everything with that catastrophe is where all of a sudden things are going to be doom and gloom. And that's when most people struggle with that because they automatically live in the, in the hypothetical future and, and, as opposed to the current or the, or the present now. And so that's what stops them. And pretty soon you're living in a cardboard box down by the river, right? Because you, because you asked a question. Right? <laughs> this is terrible. Dr. Valerie, it's been such a pleasure having you on my show today. Thank you so much. We, I know we didn't get a chance to really go into the book, The Secret Thoughts of a, of a Successful Woman, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in It in Spite of It. But I will definitely put that on my site as well. If people want to learn more information about you and to purchase this book, where will they find this information online? It is so easy, James. It is impostorsyndrome.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on my show today. I truly appreciate all your expertise. Thank you. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.